Freitag. We have a list on our website, warrocketajax.com, called Every Story Ever. What we're doing is we're taking lists from our listeners of three comic book stories, and then we are placing those stories on the list from best to worst comic book stories of all time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the War Rocket Ajax, every story ever special for January 2024, kicking off another year of ranking comic book stories. My name is Matt Wilson. Chris Sims is also here. Yes, I'm here. That was his voice. You heard him. He's here. I didn't know if you were going to say like some other stuff. Like sometimes I, sometimes I'll do a whole bit, Matt. You will. Sometimes you will. Sometimes I'll do a whole dang bit. I think that people want to. You have hear not said you. anything. That's true, but I think the people want to hear your nice voice. Uh, Thank you. This is the show. Where, as I said during the opening, many years ago, we rank comic book stories submitted by you, the listeners, and we put them on a big old list. And Chris, would you like to tell the listeners what the current state of the Every Story Era list is? Yes, Matt. We are looking at a list of we, – we did it. We, we, we broke a barrier last time. We have over 1,500 comics on the list. That means you and I have read 1,500 comic book stories. Minimum. 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 Which, which, considering that, like, some of the stuff on here is, like, 80 issues, it's a lot of comics. It's a lot of comics. It's a yeah. lot of comics. And a lot of them are good. I would say... Say about like maybe like maybe like a, like eleven hundred are pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And then like another couple, like hundred or so, are like okay. The but top, then down at the bottom, you get some bad ones. The top three quarters is okay to good. The bottom quarter is. Just bad. Just so bad. Yeah. I would say like like fourteen hundred to to fifteen oh eight right now. Deplorable. Pretty terrible. <laughs> Deplorable. <laughs> like pretty like the the high thirteen hundreds even, like some of that stuff's readable. Like at 1395, we've got Punisher the End by Garth Ennis and Richard Corbin. That's, I mean, it's a bummer. I don't like it, but it's fine. Well, I mean, it's not fine. It's it's not good. But like, who? You cross that. You cross that uh, 1400 line. It's bad. You're in a bad neighborhood. At you are point. in. You are in a. You are in a rough part of town. Yeah. Currently. Number one on the list is what has been number one on the list for quite some time. Spider-Man, If This Be My Destiny, the final chapter. The story that runs through Amazing Spider-Man numbers 31 through 33. Hey, what are you writing? Hey, what am I writing? 
what are you writing? You, character who is inexplicably journaling for some reason right now? (laughs) What am I writing? The final chapter. That's right. Uh, There was a discussion on our Discord today, because we mentioned on the regular Ajax episode that we like comics drawn by guys named Steve. Mm -hmm. And they were listing off some of the guys named Steve. And they had not mentioned Steve Ditko yet. <laughs> so yeah, I, was, I mean, he's like he's—I I would say he's. Well, we really like a bunch of comics drawn by that Steve. We do not like also several comics drawn by that Steve. That's true. One is very, very close to the bottom. So uh, I'm, I, here's okay. Real quick sidebar: every Steve ever. Okay, every Steve Steve Rude probably going to be pretty high. He's pretty good. Steve Rude, great. Steve Epting, great. Steve Epting, great. Great. Steve Dillon. Steve Dillon, uh, he's he's probably the number one. He might be number one, Steve. Uh, Let's see. Steve McNiven, pretty good. Steve McNiven, pretty good, yeah. Steve Ditko, highs and lows. Variable quality. More good than that. For Steve Dicko, yeah. They were listing off Steve's on the Discord, so I, you know. Steve Bissett? Steve Bissett. Uh, S- Steve Lieber? Oh, Steve Lieber. He'd, he'd rank high. Yeah. He's great. We we have to devo- devote more time to every Steve ever. But the point I was making was, when they had not yet mentioned Steve Ditko, I just posted the cover to Amazing Spider-Man number 33. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. Uh, Bottom of the list is Identity Crisis, notably involving no one named Steve. And and that's the problem. Mm. JK, that's one of many problems. You can't prove a negative. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Uh, So that is where we stand on the list currently. I do think Identity Crisis would be better if Steve Lieber drew it. 100% yes. I would not have wanted Steve Lieber or, or Steve Epting. Sure. I think. Uh, I would not have wanted that for them. But, like, I don't I don't know if it would be at the bottom of the list. And I'm not saying Rags Morales is bad. I'm saying that's not his best work. Uh, Steve... Uh... Lyaloha? Yeah, he's good. He, he did the uh, the finishes on G.I. Joe 21. That's a good comic. That is a good comic. A lot of good Steves. A lot of good Steves. Folks, if you if you want to be if you want to be good at drawing comics, maybe maybe change your name to Steve. Steve Olaf? Steve Olaf's also good. There's also good writers named Steve. Yeah, it's true. Engelhart? Gerber? True. Orlando? Wow. Good Steves. Good good Stevening to you. <laughs> All right. Before we get going on submitted lists, Chris. We're going to talk about Steves for like a half hour? No. This involves no one named Steve that I'm aware of. I said I would go back and read Avengers Emperor Doom 
the Marvel graphic novel. Did I also say I would do that? Because I did not do that. Uh, I I said I would do it. I don't know if you said you would do it. Okay. Um, I did do that. I read it. Uh, and let me tell you, it is not as good as you want a comic called Emperor Doom to be. Okay. This book is from 1987. And it is by I mean, David Michelinie. a decent year for comics. Yeah, by David Michelinie and Bob Hall, based on a concept by Mark Grunewald, David Michelinie, and Jim Shooter. Man, that's that's a that's a that. Let's be honest, that's a roster of variable quality. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 It's look, it's a bunch of dudes I like who occasionally. Occasionally fumble the bag. Okay. Let me start with a positive about Emperor Doom. Are you going to compliment Sandwich It? I think I might compliment Sandwich It, yeah. Okay. There's one moment in Emperor Doom that rules, that absolutely fucking rules, and if somebody submitted it to the Thursday Night Raw list, I would put it on it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So Dr. Doom's plan in Emperor Doom is to kidnap the Purple Man. Okay. Kilgrave. Yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah. And use him... Zebediah is his first name. Zebediah Kilgrave. The Purple Man. And use him basically as the engine of a machine that he will use to brainwash everybody on Earth into making him the ruler of Earth. Okay. He's got the purple man in a big purple gym in the middle of a giant I'm sorry. laboratory. I'm sorry, G-E-M or G-Y-M? Because my first thought was G-Y-M, and I'm like, that actually sounds great. G-E-M. He's got little tiny purple G-E-Ms, with strands of the purple man's hair in them that he uses to control individual people that he thinks are going to be especially hard to control, like Namor. He makes Namor like his lieutenant throughout this by promising Namor control of the seas, which once he becomes emperor, he does not follow through on. But so he's got purple man in this giant, G-E-M, Jim, in the middle of a big laboratory. And at one point, Purple Man tells him, I should own the world, Doom. The true power belongs to me. You're just a manipulator. You use electronic trickery to wield forces you're too weak to control without gimmicks. You don't deserve to rule. When Purple Man says this, Doom makes everybody leave the room. Okay, that owns. Yes. He's like, everybody get out. All the scientists and everybody, he tells them to get out. And Doom says, all right, I'll show you why I do deserve to rule. He gets inside the gym with Purple Man, takes off his mask, and he says, I'm going to take off my mask. It has the circuitry that prevents me from being under your control, so I'm totally vulnerable right now. Yeah, which... For those of you who may not know, the Purple Man get just like 
can mind control you effortlessly. He has the power of suggestion. He has the word of God, but he doesn't even have to talk in red. Yeah. You may have seen uh, uh, Jessica Jones. Uh, he, he was he was the bad guy, on, bad guy on that. But yeah, he's like, he's a mind control guy. So then, after Doom takes his mask off, Purple Man goes, then release me. I, I said, release me. Stand on your head. Take a flying leap. Kill yourself. This is impossible. Not this close. No one has a will that's strong. No one. And Doom just stares him dead in the face. It doesn't budge. And then he says, now Zebediah Kilgrave, who deserves to rule? That's, That's cold. No, That's cold that is, as fuck. That is, that is cold. That's the word for it, Matt. That moment is the best moment in this book by miles. And it happens like a third of the way in. So that's the bread of my compliment sandwich. You know what? You know what I'm gonna say? Yeah. Uh, two two things about that. Two things about that. One, that's Grunewald. <laughs> that's absolutely Grunewald, <laughs> right? Like it's gotta be. Well, it's just a concept. It was just a concept of Grunewald Shooter and Michelini. Michelini is credited as the writer of the book completely. So I don't know, but. I'm I'm just saying, uh, in in the meeting, Mark Grunewald's probably like, yeah, and then he does this. I, I hope so, yeah. I hope so. Uh, the second thing is, um, that's, the, the, you're like, yeah, that happens a third of the way in the book, and it does not get any better than that. Does not sound like the rest of the book is close to being that good. It's not, because what this book is, overall, it says just Avengers on the cover. This is a West Coast Avengers story. Oh, no. And most specifically, <laughs> most specifically, it is a Wonder Man story. Wow. That's, that would crush me. <laughs> so... Wonder Man is shown at the beginning of this on a movie set. He's like doing a World War II movie and he like jumps on an actual live grenade as part of a stunt. And then he goes back to Avengers Mansion and there's this one panel of him and Tigra that I had to screenshot and put on Blue Sky because it's the most bananas thing I've ever seen All in right, one of these comics. Let, let me load up Blue Sky. I've got a bunch of uh, Fist of the North Star panels I got to put up on there. Yeah. Wonder Man says to Tigra, he's like walking toward like Avengers West Coast headquarters. And he says, hi, Tigra, care to split a hero or sandwich that is? Which, did he think she was going to think he meant they were going to like fuck Hawkeye together? I don't know. Hey, Tigra, do you want to tag Team Hawkeye? I mean, get lunch? <laughs> then Tigra says, thanks, Wendy, but I'm right in the middle of this new book, Jim Davis book. It's terrific. 
this new Jim Davis book. Yeah. That's not since the dude in Fright Night referred to them as double thick Oreo cookies. <laughs> have I heard someone Matt, are we not am I not following you on Blue Sky? What's your what's your Blue Sky name? Oh, this is this is I put it on the Ajax Blue Sky. Oh, okay. So you gotta find it on the Ajax Blue Sky. It's the most engagement we've ever gotten on a Blue Sky post. Uh, right in the middle of this new Jim Davis book. It's terrific. Do you think... Do you think... Okay, so Tigra looks like Garfield, right? Yes. That's the joke, I think. Yeah. And so I do guess people they, like, tell her that? Do you think? Maybe. I. I just think... This is phrased this way because they think they can't say Garfield. That's weird. But it also looks like a book, like a regular book that she's reading. Yeah, no, it's like it's got illustrations and text. Yeah. It's like she's reading Garfield with commentary. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's one of those books of comic strips with like author commentary. I would. Okay, I will say this. I would fucking devour a book of Garfield strips with Jim Davis commentary (laughs) that was multiple paragraphs for one strip, because what could it be? We can only guess. We can only guess. So the reason Wonder Man is showing up issue of Daredevil where uh, uh, that Mark Wade issue of Daredevil where the guy says, thanks, Red Batman. Yes, yes. If I was if I was writing West Coast Avengers, God forbid. Just kidding, I would take the job. <laughs> uh, I would have someone refer to Tiger as as Hot Garfield. So, that's good. That's a good joke. Yeah. So, Wonder Man is at Avengers headquarters, so Tony Stark can put him in a sensory deprivation chamber for 30 days. Like Dr. Hurt. <laughs> like Dr. Hurt, yeah. So the the idea is that because Wonder Man is a being made entirely out of energy, they're going to like study him in this sensory deprivation chamber. During the 30 days that Wonder Man is in this sensory deprivation chamber, Dr. Doom succeeds in taking over the world. Okay, so it's 28 days later, but with Dr. Doom taking over the world? And, and yes, and Wonder Man is... Killian Murphy. God, I wish I wish this story was about literally any other Marvel Comics character because that <laughs> actually sounds like it owns. So Wonder Man, great concept. Wonder Man awakens and finds the world now run by Doctor Doom, and they make David Michelinie and perhaps Jim Shooter and Mark Grunewald make the wildest choices. For things that happen when Doctor Doom takes over the world. So basically, Doctor Doom goes to the UN and he says, We need a world emperor. I don't think we should even have a vote. You all just agree it's me, right? And then we see like Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher voting for him to be emperor. Well, they would. Yeah, they would. And then he brings technology to Ethiopia and like 
crops Thatcher, grow there again. Thatcher Thatcher might not. Thatcher might not, but only because of she's racist. The Russians disengaged from Afghanistan. Okay. The stock market booms. There's nuclear deproliferation. And this is the wildest one. Apartheid ends in South Africa. Under Dr. Doom. Under Dr. Doom. So so we have to assume that the stock market's out of his control. Unless he's like using Purple Man juice to just be like, okay, everybody go buy go buy stocks. I I don't know. The the everybody says that they think that it the economy of the world is so great because of Doctor Doom. So we can assume that like the apartheid thing and the nuclear deproliferation are like the top two things on his agenda. Yeah. Like Doctor Doom's first hundred days, he's gonna get that done. We get five things that Doctor Doom accomplished. And the Ethiopia one is a little shaky, but they're all kind of good. Yeah, I'm kind of not. Like, what's the, like, I feel like there should be a downside to Dr. Doom becoming the emperor of the world. Well, I'll get to it when I get to the end of the book. But so, so Wonder Man gets out of his sleep deprivation. He has to like go into hiding for a little while, but eventually he shows back up at Avengers mansion because he learns about the purple man hairs that everybody's like the, the strongest willed people are being controlled with, but he doesn't remove those from their bodies. He shows them videos of Dr. Doom of like Dr. Doom being their enemy. So that they are like, oh, right, Dr. Doom's our enemy. So then the West Coast Avengers and Captain America. Mark Grunewald, because that's not how that dude's powers work. Yeah. And Mark Grunewald would absolutely be like, that's not how his powers work. The West Coast Avengers attack Dr. Doom's headquarters. And and they snap Namor out of his uh, entrancement. And Doom is about to defeat them, but as it turns out, he hates being Emperor. Oh, wait, but I'm going to come back to that, because that's going to be the other side of my bread, of my compliment sandwich. Okay, okay. So then, Doom isn't Emperor anymore, and everything just goes back to the way it was. Russia reinvades, or the Soviet Union reinvades... Afghanistan, all the nuclear missiles come back, and apartheid comes back in South South Africa. That's rough, buddy. Yeah, and there's a whole thing at the end about how like the Avengers are like, well, we just have to live with things going back to the way they were. That's bad. But at least people have their freedom. And well, some people seem to. Some people. <laughs> Uh, okay, I would so the, say some people have significantly less freedom. So the other piece of bread in my compliment sandwich is that the whole idea of Doctor Doom hating being emperor because he has nobody to fight anymore is actually great. Yeah, man. Because and, and Victor wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. Exactly. So, like, 
he thought being emperor would be great, but instead he's just having a lot of like micromanagement meetings about like hog production in Budapest. That is also like very close to the premise of that uh that Paul Aller uh Cobra Commander story. Yeah. 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 It's it's he's bored. Doctor Doom becomes emperor and then gets bored. So he lets himself lose. He allows himself to lose so he can go back to like having something to fight. That's a great idea. That is a good idea, yes. But there's so much of the rest of the book that's just like so disappointing. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know about that whole thing where um the West Coast of it like the West Coast Avengers fighting to preserve apartheid is like almost as bad as that uh that Fantastic Beast movie where the heroes really have to have to succeed and defeat the villain so that the Holocaust can happen. I think this is because this is a Marvel graphic novel and they wanted to introduce some kind of like, I don't know, moral gray to it. Where it's like the Avengers are like, we're going to fight to get people their freedom back, even if it means we have to go back to some bad stuff. But like, you could have just not said that Dr. Doom ended apartheid. Yeah, you, know you, could, you didn't have to do. In fact, you could have made things worse under Doctor Doom. Yeah, exactly. He's a bad guy. Exactly. And like th- things, like he's a bad guy. the The swing of Doctor Doom becomes Emperor, and things get better. On the one hand, I kind of get what you're going for, but on the other hand, this is a comic book about superheroes. <laughs> I gotta say, uh, even if we look at this, you know, like the the thing that that I've said before, that's like, if if you know, it doesn't make sense for people in the DC universe to make fun of Aquaman, right? Because they didn't watch Super Friends, right? Right. right. Like if if Aquaman showed up to help you out. You'd be stoked as hell if you lived in the DC universe. Yeah, if you live at the beach, Aquaman might be around all the time. Yeah, he's he's your guy. Yeah, like if you if you were drowning and like think of the like think of fucking gunfire. Think of of Jared Stevens, the man called Faye. Sorry, Patrick. If if you you know if you were drowning. And gunfire showed up and helped you out. You'd be like, "Oh man!" And then gunfire showed up and saved my life. It was great. Like, like you know that logic. Even if we're operating under that logic, the West Coast Avengers are like the fifth or sixth team on the list. If I'm trying to save the world from Doctor Doom, if I can only go to like one group of people. And wake him up from Purple Man stuff. Then I'm gonna like it's gonna be the FF number one. Yeah, the real Avengers number two. The, the probably try the X Men after that. Yeah, like that puts West Coast Avengers at a at a number five, and that's 
That's because there are teams that I haven't thought of yet. The Defenders? Yeah, they might outrank <laughs> the Defenders. <laughs> uh, new, new, new Warriors? Uh, I don't know. The, I mean, yeah, man. Like, I probably get, like, the champions? Sure. Get the, get the champions? Get the Nova Corps? I get the I get like the seventies Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to find the spot for this. Deciding that Emperor Doom is the story where where you're gonna like try to get Wonder Man over is such a choice. Yeah, here's here's something I'll tell you for free. Wonder Man ain't never getting over. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It has not happened. It ain't gonna happen. Simon Wonderman Williams, he ain't getting over. I think I found my floor for this. Okay, which this is, is you, I haven't read it. Eleven ninety nine, which is Avengers number eighty three, the story where feminism is an evil plot. Hmm. Hmm. That's what Wonderman talked about on his podcast. Correct. I'm, I'm trying to remember what's in Punisher War Journal number eight. I feel like I'm good. Like somebody we know is probably going to yell at me for saying this. Like they, like they did when I said that uh, uh, Rory Gilmore has a has a back the blue yard sign. <laughs> but Wonder Man definitely stri- of as maybe the most likely Avenger to have gone like full men's rights activist, right? It seems right. That seems right, yeah. Okay, Punisher War Journal number 8 is the story that introduces damage, which I guess is fine. This story does have that one ice-cold moment where Doom proves to Purple Man that he's fit to rule, though. Isn't it so frustrating when a bad story has, like, one super dope bit? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say I'm going to put this at the new number 1197 between Punisher Year 1 and Jim Driscoll in The Race to Danger. <laughs> oh, that that is the the one page the the one page ad for Lee Jeans. Yeah. That's where That's I'm putting it. it. So you're saying it's not as good as that? It's better than that. It's not as good as Punisher Year One. So it's the new number eleven ninety seven. Hilarious. That's that's what I think. That's that's where I'm putting Emperor Doom. Uh, so so we did finally rank it because uh, I did promise that I would go back and read it. So you you would say that. You would not recommend it. To I would me. recommend. I recommend. I would recommend that one page. Okay. That one page is a great read. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's one of the most damning things I think you can say about a comic. That's true. Um, here's our first list of the episode, Chris. It's from Chris Kaiser. The guys. 
and this is a list of comics featuring Helena Bertinelli, the Huntress. I do like Helena Bertinelli, the Huntress, the the, the post crisis Huntress, the post crisis Huntress, not Helena Wayne, the pre crisis, and I don't know, maybe current Huntress, maybe. First up on the list is Bat- Batman Huntress Cry for Blood by Greg Rucka and Rick Burchett. Uh, yeah, that shit is good. That shit's good. Here's what's wild about that. Batman's kind of not in it. It's kind of just Batman is named and on the cover to sell some books. <laughs> yeah, in the same way that, that Batman Hellboy Starman barely has like Batman shows up at the beginning and is like Starman go hang out with Hellboy and then he shows up at the end and he's like good job Starman and Hellboy <laughs> uh like he's he's not really in this comic it's mostly a team up between the Huntress and uh Victor Sage the question the question yes yes uh which is like not a complaint because it's really like uh, Greg Rucka as a writer, L- less so on the art side because it's you know, Rick Burchett isn't uh, like doing a Dennis Cowan thing, but it's really Greg Rucka like channeling some real uh, Denny O'Neill question stuff in this. But you know, it's good as hell. That Rick Burchett art. Oh yeah, no, it's it's incredible. Like it's. Rick Frechette is arguably the most underrated artist of his era. (laughs) Well, he did a lot of, like, Batman adventures. So he was drawing, you know, in that particular animated style for a lot of, like, his best-known comics. Mm -hmm. But he gets to do his own style in this book. And it is an incredible mix of that sort of like really tight Batman the Animated Series design while also like not having to exactly be on model for it. So his like his Batman has got like short little ears and is always in the shadows and looks dope. Yes. Yes. Like incredibly part Part of it, like part of the reason why it feels like Batman is not in this book so much, is because when he does appear, he's just like in shadow and then gone. You know, like it's it's what Batman would be if you were a person who lived in Gotham City mm-hmm. and just like occasionally caught a glimpse of him. Man, the the art yeah. in this book is top top notch the word that i would use for it is clean very clean yeah it is like it's that it it is that like crisp clean style that you'd expect from like a like a bruce tim like a like a darwin cook uh which is kind of like the thing that really sets it apart from uh dennis cowan uh you know dennis cowan famously like very Sinkevichy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so but yeah, like so good. This was one of my favorite comics when it was coming out. Cause this is like in that 
that early 2000s uh, Greg Rucka Batman era. Like, is real good. I, I feel like it is. it is perhaps reductive to say that it is like spiritual like it it kind of has a spiritual sense of being a continuation of Batman the animated series cuz it's it is its own thing but it has that vibe to it like cuz like everything's a little bit art deco and and like characters are wearing 40s style clothes and and like if someone's wearing glasses it's just like you don't see their eyes underneath them <laughs> mm-hmm. like a batman the animated series it's just like yeah. or like you in real life yeah it's just like me you never see my eyes but like also it's that sort of like you know crime boss conspiracy kind of story that batman the animated series did every once in a while and was really good and it's it's like you know, Huntress getting revenge for having been framed. And it's, it's so well done. Like it's, if you are a Batman, the animated series fan, you will like just plug right into this, you know? I, yeah. So much of that new Gotham era was like, was BTAS inspired, you know, like they, they they gave the cops like the forties style uniforms. Uh, like they had on Batman the Animated Series, like yeah. like Rick Burchett did, you know, did stuff on the main books in those as well. Uh, but yeah, like the, this is the Huntress's origin story. Um, like like to- it, it's the Huntress's origin story told via flashbacks while the larger story, like while there's like a story going on in the present as well. So it's not quite like Huntress Year One, you know? Right. But it is very Well, like, yeah, it's it's if you're gonna read one story and kind of get the Helena Bertinelli Huntress, it should be this one. Which is why when its most recent printing came out for the Birds of Prey movie that has a a drawing of Mary Elizabeth Winstead on the cover. The the a a a Tulalote cover that looks great it's just and it's called in very big letters birds of prey colon huntress uh which is a shame because like the actual covers of the issues have like this really striking like minimalist uh like heavy uh black uh design to them which i really really like yeah it's got it's got Vic Sage all up in it. I think Richard Dragon shows up for a little bit. It's got Nightwing. It's got all your faves. Assuming those characters are your faves because they are mine. Uh, all right, let's let's uh, let's rank it. I I mean I really like it. Like it's it's been a minute since I've read it, but I I do quite like it. Uh, but it is you know it is one that I would go back to. Uh, a yeah. bunch, like especially like during the era. Yeah, it's it's a really good story, and the presentation is like pristine. So give me give me a neighborhood. Well, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the list, and again, yeah. like it's a very top heavy list. 
It really is. But like, it's, I feel like it can go in the 500s. Like, okay. it's, like, I was specifically looking at, like, where, uh, like, where, you know, Aerosmith used to be our kind of, like, benchmark for, that's a good comic. But, you know, like, that's kind of all it is. Uh-huh. It's just like, yeah, that's really good. It's a, that's a current music, Carlos Pacheco book that's exactly as good as you want it to be. True. That's a 574. So, I think it's better than that. I, I would agree with that, yeah. I would, I mean, I think it's probably better than... I don't know if it's if it's better than the new Fantastic Four, which is extremely good, actually. Yes, better than anyone gives it credit for. Yeah, uh, I would say just below the new Fantastic Four. Uh, so that puts it where at the new five hundred and forty-four. All right, the new number five hundred and forty-four is. Huntress Cry for Bl- or Batman Huntress Cry for Blood. Next on Chris Kaiser's list is Robin Three Cry of the Huntress by Chuck Dixon and Tom Lyle. Significantly worse. <laughs> <laughs> not, but not terrible. Like I was having a conversation with uh, with uh, Kevin Murray this past weekend about one of the things we we're talking about was Chuck Dixon. Mm-hmm. And how, like, th- th- there, w- there was a reliability with Chuck that is no longer there. But, True. you know, I, I, I read the hell out of this book, and you know why I read it? Because it was Robin 3? Well, yeah, I mean, like it's 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 the third Robin miniseries before the launch of the ongoing. That's right, and, and it's also about Robin Three, Tim Drake. Tim Drake, you know, he fights in this comic, man. It's KG Beast. He fights the fucking KG Beast. That's right. <laughs> he fights the hell out of KG Beast, man. I mean, also King Snake's in there. Who gives a shit? But KG Beast, buddy. The Beast. How many nights did he have? Ten. <laughs> if I remember right, this is the story where KG Beast uh, is it Huntress is trying to get revenge on him? I honestly don't remember much of what Huntress wants in this. Other than I think, other than Dick finds or uh, uh, Tim finds her identity, right, right. Because Huntress is a is a teacher, which I always thought was very interesting. They never really did much with that, but uh, it's an, an interesting setup. Also, I will say this: I like Tom Lyle a lot. Like as a nineties nineties DC guy, I like the hell out of Tom Lyle art. Mm-hmm. It's it's very nineties. Oh, it's super 90s. This is like, this is the 90s version of Huntress's 70s costume. Yes. So before she got like the good, uh, like, the good costume that went away. 
with that Jim Lee redesign. Right. Which was but among that, the worst. I remember that this book had different cover art than interior art. I think Mike Zek was doing the covers. So on the Mike Zek covers, Huntress's costume looked kind of like clean and tight and like neat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, like it was very designed on the covers. And then in inside the book, it looked absolutely bananas. Yes. Like her mask was just like all over her face. <laughs> yeah. And she had pouches and. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's. Again, I like Tom Lyle. If you look at pages of this book where Huntress is interacting with Tim, Tim looks normal, you know, for a 90s comic. Big hair, but yeah, otherwise. Not I mean, it ain't like it ain't like Ultimate Peter Parker's hair. It's definitely not like that, yes. It's then you look at like next to him is Huntress who just looks not quite human. Like, the proportions are all weird. Yeah. Everything's weird. Yeah. Everything's weird, man. (laughs) Yeah. But again, I like Tom Lyle. I like the way he draws KG Beast. What's weird is that, like, KG Beast's costume gets legs, like gets pants, which he didn't used to have. Right. And then Huntress would not get pants for quite some time. It's also funny that this was coming out, like, as the Soviet Union was collapsing. Yeah, or, like, a year why, or two after. That's why KGB's gotta, 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 get that, gotta get that money. You gotta get that bag. Yeah. Yeah. I thought there was some kind of like revenge element to this, but I think maybe Huntress is just like trailing KGBs and his people as like a mission that she's on. Uh, and maybe she has some, cause there's a, a young woman, Ariana, whose dad gets killed. And I think she wants to like help her and save her. I think that's what Huntress wants, uh, mm-hmm. is to help Adriana, or Ariana. Uh, so, that seems to be what's happening. Um, man, it's been a long time since I've read this comic. Yeah, man, it's been, it's been a while since I've read it, too. But you know what? Got Robin and the KGBs in it. Yeah. All right, well, we'll this is all you. You, you, get to, you absolutely get to place this one. Well, Matt, as I said, significantly worse than our last entry. <laughs> sure, understandably so. Sorry, I'm just I'm just looking through it. And I just uh, came across a page where uh, a panel where Tim goes, "These guys seem like the dungeon type." What does that mean, Timothy <laughs> Charles? What does that mean? Well, there's the there's the dungeon type type, and there's the dragon type. Right, dragon type like like dragon air. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's not as good as the Death of Superman. That's at 900. 
Okay. That's for sure. Okay. At number 1,000, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 655 to 656, No One Dies. A story that is, is it's all right. It's perfectly fine. Yeah. 1,100, Rogue Gets in Trouble by Kate Beaton. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> That's pretty fun. Pretty good. At 1,200, again, we're back down to Punisher War Journal Damage. It's got to be better than that. Dude, Lone Wolf and Cub Volume One's at twelve oh three, and I know there's a reason we put it there. It's because of it's because of a prominent rape. In I in know there's a reason we put it there. Yeah, craft wise, I still think that's probably better. Oh, later volumes of Lone Wolf and Cub, I think we could put much higher. It, it it's I, the only reason we put Lone Wolf and Cub Volume One that low is because of how prominently a rape is like the inciting incident of that comic. <laughs> I would I would say this is oof. I mean this is this is kind of like it's weird because this is comics like this area of the list, if you if you're charting the the kind of themes that the list goes through, this is the area where there's like, yeah, this comic's pretty good, but there's one real bad thing about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm seeing a lot of that. At this part of the list, uh, well, I don't think that's true of Robin Three. No, I don't. I mean, I think it's better than Jim Driscoll in the Race to Danger. Yeah, I, I think it's better than Return of the Goblin. All right, at eleven eighty-two, probably. I mean, it can't be that much higher. Probably not. I mean, is it better than the death of Gene DeWolf? It's not. I've, literally, I, I was hovering the mouse over that entry. It is not better than the death of Gene DeWolf. Okay. So at the new number 1178 okay. is going to go this comic. Robin 3. Uh, Robin 3, Cry of the Huntress. Which, it's not really about her cry, but we'll let it slide. Yeah, it's, it should be called Robin 3. KGB's is back, baby. And you find out who Robin finds out who the Huntress is. And also King Snake's here for some reason. <laughs> Third on Chris's list is New Year's Evil Prometheus and JLA number 16 through 17. The arc that introduces Prometheus and where Huntress joins the JLA. I think we've ranked this. We do have that. We also have it including uh, the New, Year, New Year's Evil special. It is at number 342 on the list. Uh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff, baby. Okay. There is an alternate on Chris's list, which is Detective Comics number 1047 through 1058, The Tower, uh, by Mariko Tamaki, Ivan Reese, Max Rayner, and Aman K. Uh, Nahulpan which is the recent story where a new Arkham Asylum opens in downtown Gotham that fraudulently advertises a cure for every inmate. Uh, I have not actually read that. Like, I've, no. I think I've read bits and pieces of it, and I've read stories around it. Same. Just to kind of like keep up with what's going on, but I have not read that, uh, that full story. It sounds pretty good. No, like, what, I've, what I have read of it, and what I've read of the uh, Mariko Tamaki uh, Batman is like, pretty good in general so yeah there have been a couple of good runs on detective recently that i really should just go back and read 
because Marika Tamaki and Rom V, I would like to read both of those. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, thank you, Chris, for that list. Here's our next list uh, from Steve Lee. Steve, are this, you good at drawing comics? <laughs> uh, this list is called Spider-Man, Newspaper Man, Author, Teacher. Okay. All right. First is Amazing Spider-Man, Issue 2, Duel to the Death with the Vulture, by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. That is the story that introduces J. Jonah Jameson. In which Peter decides to make money, he's going to sell pictures to the Daily Bugle of Spider-Man. Oh, okay. I like that you specified that it was pictures of Spider-Man. Yeah. Now, actually, I think think it's not the Daily Bugle at this point. It's Now Magazine. Now Magazine. That's right. Yes. Which, Which would actually come back... Do you know how it came back? How did it come back? In the 70s, that's where uh, Ms. Marvel worked. Okay. Okay. So it that was like sense. a thing where like they brought it back in continuity as uh, this is – because in the, uh, the original issue, hilariously, uh, there is a building that just says J. Jonah Jameson Publishing, which yeah. is very funny. And, but then below that, it has it says Now Magazine. Yeah. So it's not the Daily Bugle building yet. Yeah. Uh, I just think, like, J. Jonah Jameson Publishing is very funny. Like, of course he would put his name on the building. Of course he would, uh, yeah. But yeah, like, it, it was, uh, like, Now Magazine was a, like, another Jameson publication. In the seventies, right. that where uh, Miss Marvel, uh, Ms. Marvel briefly worked for it. Carol Danvers back when she was Ms. Marvel and not Captain Marvel. Right. There's also a whole thing in here about how there's this whole setup, this like police setup to try to get the vulture, where they're gonna um, like do, do this bit where the like they're ca- they're taking diamonds to like a. a safe or to a lockbox and they're, they're going to try to set him up into like flying down and trying to take the diamonds. And then the vulture just pops up in a, in, through like a sewer. <laughs> and everybody's surprised. They were like, we were expecting him to come from above. And so Spider-Man has to go fight him. Uh, I mean, that's look, that that's a great way for the vulture to surprise you. It's true. It's true. This is a pretty good I, story. I would also expect him to come from the air. Yeah. Uh this is not the only story in this issue. Um there's also a story about the tinkerer, but that's not what has been provided to us. We're talking about the story about the vulture and J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. He's uh, not quite Jonah yet. He's not quite Joe. Well, it's this is. I, I know we just talked about uh, Dicko being good, which he is, and I'm not yeah. saying the art in this is bad, but like he's clearly like not like 
he's not quite this is still so early he doesn't quite have him yet and the way he draws him it's so weird because i think it's actually great but there's a panel where he where, where peter is looking at now magazine cover price 25 cents yeah cheap cheap mad magazine uh He's looking at Map Magazine. He's like, "Oh, I should take pictures of Spider-Man and the Vulture and sell them to Now Magazine." And it looks like he—he he is the most conniving-looking motherfucker. Yeah, it makes perfect sense why teenagers would laugh at and ridicule this guy. Yeah, he's a little weirdo. He's Craven, not Craven the Hunter. Craven with a C. He, he's 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 Wes Craven's new nightmare. That's right. <laughs> also, I I just love the simplicity of all the Vulture stuff in this issue. He dumps he dumps Spider Man into a water tower, and is like, "Bye." <laughs> <laughs> this is a simpler time, man. And he's old. And, yeah, and and yeah, he he manages to steal the diamond shipment just by coming up through a sewer. Like it's, it's so simple. I love that about it. I love that. It's just like pretty, pretty simple, but like Jonah's not mean yet. That's the part that's missing from Jonah at this point. Yeah. My suspicion. It's, it's always, it's always dicey on who, who you give credit for. Who, who who you give what credit in uh, in these days of Marvel Comics. But there's definitely a part of me that's like, oh, Stan saw that dude. Like, saw this weirdo that that Steve Dicko drew and was like, oh, th- I've, I can give this guy a personality. Yeah. He just doesn't have it yet. Yeah, like, when when Peter gives him pictures... Jonah says, these pictures are, are sensational. Great. But how'd a kid like you get them? That ain't Jonah yet. Right. He, he does call Spider-Man a public menace. So so he's got that part at this point. But he, like, he's a little too nice to Peter. Yeah. Because the second time he brings Jonah pictures of Spider-Man and Vulture, Jonah says, tell me, Parker, are you a magician? How does a teenager like you manage to get pictures that our best staff photogs would give their eye teeth for. Then he tells him with the money he gives him to go out and buy some twist records. That's cool. It's <laughs> <That's> very cool. <laughs> He's a cool guy, man. He's down. Jonah has a finger on the pulse of of culture. It's true. It's true. How many do you, okay. If we're, if, if, if Spider-Man happens today, mm-hmm. Peter Parker was born in 2009. Right. Right. Yeah. That made you sad a little bit, didn't it? He would be, yeah, he'd be 25. Damn. He'd be, he'd be, he'd be 15. <sighs> yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah. F- okay. 15. He'd be, 1999, he'd be 25. Yeah. Okay, that makes me feel a little better. 
how how old would would Jonah be? Jonah would like be our age, right? He'd be older than us. I'd say Jonah's fifty. Okay, Jonah's fifty, which is not that much old. Like, uh, it's ten years. Yeah, yeah. Do you think J. Jonah Jameson has Funko Pops in his office? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's just a little too old to have Funko Pops. Okay. All right. What do you th- like, do you think he has any any desk tchotchkes? Bobbleheads. He's got like bobbleheads of like Captain see, America. See, I feel like bobbleheads are like a much older thing than 10 years older than us. Maybe he's maybe he's got figure arts. <laughs> Which wow. Goku do you think uh Jonah has? <laughs> I, th- I think Jonah has some kind of Captain America memorabilia. That's all I know for sure. Okay. All right. Which what, what anime girl do? statue does J. Jonah Jameson have on his desk in 2024? It's <laughs> a great question. Um, what records does he go tell Peter to buy? Here you go, Parker. Go sign up for Spotify Premium. Yeah. Yeah. Here you go, Parker. Go buy yourself a TikTok. Go buy those K-pop albums. <laughs> Here you go, Parker. Go get... What is it? It's not BSK. That's the Undertaker's weird little gang that he has. Yeah, BTS. BTS? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You're in that BTS army, aren't you? Okay. At number 1045 on the list is Amazing Spider-Man number four, Nothing Can Stop the Sandman. Mm-hmm. That issue was better than this one. I think it is. I think it is, too. And like, again, we talk about legacy. We love Jonah. We love Jonah. He's not Jonah. We got love for J.J. Jameson. He ain't, he ain't quite there yet. In the same way that, like, Superman number one, Superman ain't quite there yet. Well, I... You know, I was talking about how much I love the simplicity of the Vulture stuff in this issue. Because it's refreshing. But it's very simple. Yeah. Like, he literally just dumps Spider-Man into a water tower. Is Steve Ditko the best, weirdest costume designer in comics history? Easily. I just I don't it's not nobody like else suits. Nobody else would design this Spider-Man costume. Nobody else would design Electro with it that thing on his head. Nobody else would give Vulture that weird fur collar. What do you think what do you think Dicko's weirdest costume is? I have I have I, I think the winner. I mean Craven's pretty Bingo! Pretty up there, because it's the it's a lion face. Yeah, it's a vest. A vest. Yeah. Are we supposed to believe that Craven cut a lion's face in half? I mean, absolutely correct. That is what we're supposed to believe. I mean, that's fucking whack, dude. Craven is such a weird design, but like works. That's the wildest thing about it. Craven wears leopard print capri pants and ballet flats and makes it work. He is working that. And 
like I don't think anybody but Dil or uh, anybody but Ditko could would have done that or could do it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think anybody could have. Like, yeah, nobody was designing costumes like that guy. Yeah, man. Uh, Ditko, like Spider Man's costume, the greatest superhero costume of all time. Uh huh. But weird. But it's weird. But it shouldn't. It shouldn't be good. It's. It absolutely should not be good. I'm sure artists were mad that they had to draw all those webs. Oh yeah. In the red part. I wonder. I, I, and I, again, I'm like I have no idea, and I'm not saying anything negative about him. But when. John Romita comes in. Do you think he was like, can we change his costume? <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. I do not want to draw that suit. Also, it's, like, it's complicated. You can't see his face. The way he drew Doc Ock. Like, Doc Ock got a costume, but after Ditko. Yeah, because his Doc Ock was always just wearing, like, either, like, a lab smock or like a sweater and slacks. Yeah, well I mean like Doc Ock still like I mean maybe not today but like he just wears kind of like, you know, he just wears kind of like a like a little jumpsuit. I mean like he, he, he wears his boiler suit like he does in uh in in the video game. Yeah, he he had a costume. He I mean he has a costume where it's like the green bodysuit and the orange gloves, right? Yeah, but, but like, like you can, like you can absolutely buy that as being like, yeah, that's coveralls. Just some, yeah, it's, it's coveralls. Yeah. yeah, like yeah, he's just wearing a boiler suit. Yeah, it's true. What a what a great what a great artist, Steve Ditko. What a great costume designer. Love him. Um, okay. I know you. You're always saying I love Steve Ditko and agree with everything he said politically. <laughs> Yep, that's that's what I meant when I said that. I think this goes between Birds of Prey Volume 1, numbers 13 through 14, The Apocalypse Express, and Daredevil Yellow, because this is definitely better than Daredevil Yellow. It's definitely better than Daredevil Yellow. So th- I'm, I'm saying put this at the new number 1050. <sighs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's the right spot. I was just looking at like what's what's a little bit above that, and I think New X Men Here Comes Tomorrow absolutely beats it. Yeah, first uh, Vulture, first first Jonah. Uh, so this is the story in Amazing Spider Man number two, duel to the death with the Vulture. There is also a second story in that issue. Called the terror, the uncanny threat of the terrible tinkerer. And buddy, if you want to talk about, they didn't quite get it yet. That's the one to read. Yeah, yeah, it's it. It ain't there just yet. <laughs> uh, all right. Next on Steve's list is Amazing Spider-Man issues three hundred four and three hundred five, California Scheman and Westward Westward Woes by David Michelinie and Todd McFarlane. 
Because Peter didn't read his contract thoroughly, all his Spider-Man photos are being published without his input in the book Webs. In order to make some cash, Peter agrees to go on a book tour to California and runs into the fox in the Prowler. Peter not retaining the rights to his pictures of Spider-Man definitely seems like seems like it's getting real close to saying something. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? You it know. Does. Also, this is this the David Michelinie era of yes. the list. It must be. It must be. Uh, I'll t- I'll tell you this. 305 got a kick-ass Todd McFarlane cover. Man, yeah. Spider-Man all contorted. Ooh, 306 has a McFarlane cover that's an Action Comics 1 homage. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Spidey says, fuck the police. Yeah. Uh, What a... Sorry, I'm just getting distracted looking at this Todd McFarlane art. Tom was so fucking good at Charles Spider-Man. <laughs> you know, it's it's easy to rag on the Todd issues because they're of such like a particular time period and Peter's got weird hair and like he drew Mary Jane all sexy, you know. But like he did so much he he innovated Spider-Man, like the way Spider-Man is presented in comics, more than anybody since Deco. Yeah, I I love the way, the poses, like yeah, the big the big foot up, web swinging. Uh, like he's he's always he's always in a weird pose when he's web swinging, and mm-hmm. it's so effective at being like, like yeah, this is one of this guy's superpowers is he's got this weird agility and flexibility that makes him a little bit upsetting. Yeah. This, I I do think this story in particular is like a great example of Spider-Man in this era, just being fun. Cause like, like Jonah, you know, sells off Peter's pictures for this book. It's, you know, there's a little bit of conflict between Jonah and Peter. I, oh, and at one point Jonah says, okay, uh, yeah. How about I, uh, give you a little piece of this. How about a hundred dollars? What an asshole. Yeah. And then the book publishers say, okay, well look, if you go on this book tour, you could get, paid as much as uh like if if we really get the sales high enough you could make like 25 grand and peter's like okay great yeah let's go so they go to california and go to disneyland and that part is a blast little did they know that disney would own marvel eventually then peter goes to a fancy party like a fancy book party and is like incredibly charming in that part. Like the way Todd draws Peter in those parts is like very charming. Then he stops the black Fox during a robbery. Then the prowler shows up and there's a whole like Spider-Man prowler black or uh, a yeah. Black Fox 
fight um that's very fun and like this is just a fun two issues of spider-man in 1989 and then of course todd draws mary jane in a bikini before it's all over he i'm gonna say something matt and i want you to look at these issues Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna say something that i've never heard anything never heard anyone say before but that I think you will agree with me is true. There's a little bit of Dan DiCarlo in Todd McFarlane in this, this era. In this era of Todd McFarlane. There's a he, little bit of Archie comics. Like, like specifically, like, Peter and Mary Jane stuff. Like, he gives Peter those heavy-ass Archie Andrews eyebrows. Uh-huh. And Mary Jane is always, like, a little bit sexier than she should be but in a way that i think works you know i think like that panel of them on the beach could be like imagine a bizarre alternate reality where this is the direction archie comics went in like 1989 yeah it's it's not unbelievable for sure there's a there's a element to this i think like so this is 1988 that these issues are coming out between now and 1991 when Todd's solo Spider-Man book debuts, his style changes to become more, I don't know, kind of dark nineties in this. He's drawn like Johnny Carson likenesses that, are pretty fucking good. Yeah. You know? And like, like his Spider-Man is exaggerated, but it's not so exaggerated. To me, this is the sweet spot of Todd on Spider-Man. Like this is, this is a thing of beauty. These two issues are just like a purely fun thing of beauty story. It's it's pretty it's pretty fun. It's pretty enjoyable. But yeah, like go go look at these issues. You will you will see a weird little bit of Dan DiCarlo, a weird little bit of Archie comics in those. I I don't think you're off the mark with that. I really don't. And and to me that's like part of the fun of this era of Spider-Man where it's just like like Peter and Mary Jane are like solidly married at this point but there's a fun adventure flirtiness to all of their interactions and like a kind of lightheartedness to the spider-man stuff that's really appealing Mm -hmm. very much so very much so like is this a landmark story no but it's fun to read it is, and it's also like it is when used sparingly. It's very fun to get Peter out of New York for a story, yeah, like a couple issues, because he's a character who weirdly only works in one place, right? So you always put him on his back foot if you take him out of New York City. And, and what's great about this story? What's great about this story is that not only is he out of his element as Spider Man. 
he's also out of his element as Peter because he's at like fancy parties and signing autographs and well, he's signing autographs to Spider-Man, but like the the panel where Spider-Man is signing autographs and he's holding a pen cap in his mouth, but he hasn't pulled his mask up. Mm -hmm. So he's just kind of poking the pen cap into through his mask. like pushing his mask into his mouth. That's very good. That's the shit Todd was the best at. Yeah. Extremely good. How, how would this normal thing work in a Spider-Man costume? How would Spider-Man eat donuts? You know? Yeah. (laughs) Like Todd would just think about that stuff clearly and draw it. And it would be a hoot every time. It's just like those little details means so much. That's why Todd was such a great Spider-Man artist. Mm-hmm. Cause of like those little details of positioning and contortion and the webs, like what he did to the webs. Like it's all like it's all clearly so thought out. Like he put so much thought into every image, you know? I'll I'll say it. I'll say it. Best webs. Oh, easily, yeah. I mean, because before him, all the webs were just a line, you know? Like, he was he was the only one who ever put any effort into drawing the webs. Gotta give me them spaghetti webs. Yeah. Fucking love them. They're great. They're so good. I, I have said this before on the show. I would draw... I still, like, when I, when I do cons, I still love it if someone will ask me to, like, do a... a bad sketch of spider-man because i get to draw those dang webs (laughs) love drawing those fucking webs uh so okay so this this story is fun i don't think it's anything groundbreaking but it's it's definitely fun so so let's find that part of the list like i think it's better than that vulture story i think it's better than the vulture story like if if stanley and steve dicko didn't quite have spider-man in that story tell you who's got spider-man that's todd todd and dave yeah yeah uh let's see fast lane is at 1031 i think this can go Mm. above fast lane Mm, i don't know man fast lane's pretty good fast lane's got (laughs) zane whelan in it matt fast lane does have zane whelan in it i know you love weed fair point fair point and I know that Fastlane was the reason you love weed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It did not take for me. Yeah. Uh, okay. This is probably not better than the Brood Saga, which is at 1003. Or the uh, Return of Dark Phoenix. Let's see. Batman Gotham by Gaslight is at 1006. 1007 is Magnus Robot Fighter Volume 1. Seven Soldiers Mr. Miracle is at 1008. Uh, let's see. Maybe th- maybe this goes a little f- further down. It's not as good as it's not as good as that fraction uh, of Spider-Man Annual for sure. Yeah. Um I think it's as fun to read as that Calvin Hobbes Calvin and Hobbes series about Stupendous Man. Okay, where's that? And that that's at ten twenty one. And the last Peanut Sunday strip is that's, a that's, I've got Rosal and the Babysitter at ten twenty one. 
okay, we've we've gotten off somewhere then between our two lists. Or wait, it's still Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. It's it's stupendous man attacks is that story. Okay, okay. Yeah. I think it's as fun as that. Um and better than the Peanuts last Sunday strip. I think it's I think it maybe goes a little bit higher. I think it goes right under Wild Dog. I don't think it's as good as Empire. Impure? Impure. Yeah. Impure. Which is at 1020. I think it's um, okay. All right. I think it's better, but I will I will I will concede. I I mean I could put it above the Calvin and Hobbes series. Okay. Okay. You could put it at the new 1021. The new 1021, yeah. Okay, so Amazing Amazing Spider-Man, the issue numbers are 304 and 305. Numbers 304 to 305. And we'll just call it California Scheming, even though that's only one of the issue titles. Okay. Uh... Finally, on Steve's list, is Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2, Issues 55 and 56. Uh, written by J. Michael Straczynski, penciled by John Romita Jr. Peter Pike Parker tries to help a student of his, whose brother he had previously arrested. I think we have ranked this. I think we have, too. Uh, let's see. Yes, Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2, 55 to 56, Unintended Consequences. It is at 1169. Nice. Okay, here's an alternative. I can I can rank this one. Amazing Spider-Man Volume 2, Issue 1, Where Are You, Spider-Man? Written by Howard Mackey and John Byrne. Penciled by John Byrne. This is the story mm-hmm. where a mysterious new Spider-Man is fighting an upgraded Scorpion. And it is quickly revealed that that New Spider-Man is Matty Franklin. Also, Peter lives in a big new nice apartment because Mary Jane is rich. And he gets a job at the Tricorp Research Foundation, which is the precursor for that for Horizon Labs, where he works during big time. <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't know that Amazing Spider-Man... 1999 issue one is itself a single story. I think it might be issues one and two because I think issue two is the issue that reveals that Maddie Franklin is the new Spider-Man. And then Peter quickly takes back over as Spider-Man after that. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe it is. Maybe it is a story. Amazing Spider-Man number one, because issue two introduces Shadrack, which is its own different thing. <laughs> All right. Sure. But Peter quickly takes, he, he discovers that Maddie is Spider-Man in issue two and then is like, you can't be Spider-Man. I'm Spider-Man. So he takes back over. <laughs> uh, 
But um, issue one, um, it's bad. <laughs> Are you telling me this Howard Mackie John Byrne Spider-Man comic is bad? Yeah. I remember one of the big selling points of that new number one issue is that they redesigned the Daily Bugle building. Is that really a really a selling point? The building? Yeah. I remember it being, in Wizard Magazine, a big deal. And, uh, and that design of that Daily Bugle building stuck around for maybe like a year and a half. Oh yeah, look at that. It just, it just, it it doesn't have the words Daily Bugle. It just has a picture of a bugle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not as good. Yep. They wouldn't make a Lego set out of that. Uh, the big reveal of this issue is the new Spider-Man showing up. And Peter doesn't know who it is. Uh, and, uh, it turns out it's Matty Franklin who got powers from the Gathering of Five. Matt. Uh, mm-hmm. You you might have to explain the Gathering of Five. We've done it. Go back and listen to us talking about the Gathering of Five. You might have to people might not know about what happens in the Gathering of Five. We did a whole comics catch up about the Gathering of Five. Go listen to that. Norman Osborne tries to get wizard powers, everybody. And instead, he gets insanity because each sanity in his bones. Each participant of the gathering of five got a gift or a curse. And uh, Norman Osborn thought he got power, but instead, he got insanity. Isn't that always the way? Isn't that always the way? Maddie Franklin got power. She did. If that if I find out that that Madam Web movie has a gathering of five in it, first day ticket. Yeah, actually, yes. First day I ticket. Would, I would fucking. Here's the thing. I would love to be in a theater and be surprised by someone dropping the words "the gathering of five. but there is no way I'm going to go see that if I don't know. That it's got the Gathering of Five in it. <laughs> right. So, okay. This story is bad. But it's not like dead bottom of the list bad, because it's just kind of boring and like disappointing for a Amazing Spider-Man number one. Mm-hmm. It's not like Civil War Frontline bad. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's weird that you say the Civil War Frontline is bad, Matt, but, like, when was the last time you saw NASCAR? That's a great question. That's a great question. Thank you. Uh, let's see. This part of the list is weird. All right, I think I would put it above that Garfield strip that might be homophobic. It's hard to know. Mm-hmm. But is it as good as either of those stories in Amazing Fantasy number 15? I mean, those stories aren't good. No, it's probably better than both of those. It's probably better than the Batman versus the Mummy 
hostess ad. But I'm putting it below live, below live, Cree, or Die. <sighs> okay. I will say this. Peter Parker, Spider-Man number one, also written by Howard Mackey, but with art by John Romita Jr., is better. It's it's almost like you can really pin down what the bad thing was. It's almost like you can. Yeah. It's almost like that. Uh, Steve, thank you for sending in that list. We appreciate it. On to our next list, which comes to us from Jolene. Uh, this is a collection. Well, there's no real uh, theme to this, but we'll see. We'll see where we are. Uh, the first one on Jolene's list is what if Bob Kane had gone ahead and created Batman without Bill Finger by Ty Templeton? That's a good comic. Is it, was that just like a webcomic? Yes. Okay. Because I know I've seen it, but I don't think it was ever published anywhere. Outside of, you know, online. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's just, it's just posted online by Ty Templeton in 2014. Yeah. Uh, and it's pretty great. Uh, so it's it's a single page. Uh, so we can just go through uh, the the comic in its entirety. At the top is the title: "What if Bob Kane had created Batman without Bill Finger?" Then there is a title graphic that says "Batman and No One: The Boy Wonder." <laughs> Pretty good because <laughs> Bill Finger created Robin. Yeah. Batman is on a rooftop, and he says, what to do, what to do? Then in the next panel, he's swinging off the rooftop, and he says, that looks like a bad guy. Time to go into action. He kicks a guy, and the guy says, ow. (laughs) And then Batman says, say, that was easy. And the guy goes, grr. Then he leads the guy away, and he goes, time to go to jail. Then he approaches a police officer, and he says, I caught a crook. And the cop says, what's with the wings, pally? And then Batman says, I lifted them from a sketch by Leonardo da Vinci. Beyond that, I don't know. (laughs) Then he asks the cop, can you help me? Is there some sort of commissioner of police I could talk to? And the cop says, not in this comic. (laughs) And then he asks, are there any other imaginative, imaginative and colorful villains that need capturing? Nope. Well, then I guess I'll go home. I wish I had a car. And it's also the 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 original. Imagine the largest quotes you can, please. <laughs> original uh, Batman design, where he's got the dumb red suit and is blonde and has a domino mask on. Right, and no no bad ears. No bad ears. Looks the like cape, trash. The cape looks like wings. Absolute garbage. Uh, no symbol on his chest. Just a bunch of nothing. And uh, the comic is making the point that, yeah, Bill Finger created basically everything about Batman. <laughs> yeah, you know, Robin, the Batcave, the Joker. The Batmobile. Batmobile, Trisha Gordon, the costume, you know, all the stuff. All um, the stuff. 
I'm going to say this, and Matt, you know, you know, that if someone ever said Chris Sims is a Bob Kane defender, mm-hmm. you you would know that person didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. I would know that, I, yes. I am one of the most prominent Bob Kane haters on the on, on God's earth. I I will I I'll go as far as to say that. Uh, it's like me and Athena Finger, <laughs> like right. Uh, this is actually not that dissimilar to what does happen in Detective Comics twenty seven, which was written by Bob by Bill Finger. <laughs> True. I mean, it's like like. Ty Templeton is making a good point. Also, it's it's not, you know, it wasn't all there on day one. The point the point being there would there would only have been a day one with Bob Kane, I'm sure. Right. Right. The the last bit of the comic is next, all of Bob Kane's other ideas. Which I think is a joke about how there aren't any more. Correct. I like it when somebody uh who who was it? It was uh somebody just recently texted me. They were somewhere and uh they texted me a picture of they found a copy of Batman and Me, mm-hmm. Bob Kane's uh ghostwritten autobiography. Uh somewhere in the wild. And they sent it to me and they were like, Hey, ran into this one. And I was like, That's a Bible written by the devil. <laughs> well that is. Imagine being approached to be the ghostwriter of that book. Do, do so, you think anyone got paid? Boy, that's a great question. That is a great question. I, I'm guessing they got paid like the most basic freelancing fee, and then Bob Kane got all the royalties. I mean, th- that, certainly. That was a work-for-hire yeah. gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't even... I doubt they even got, like, an hourly rate. Yeah. It it was like, you get $500 or yeah. something, you know. Um, another person who might go on the list of biggest Bob Kane haters, maybe Mark Tyler Nobleman. Mark Tyler Nobleman, and probably Ty Templeton as well, yeah. I mean, like... Martyler Nobleman has certainly certainly done more of the work than I have. He's done quite a bit of the work. I just hate yeah. from the sidelines. <laughs> I mean, you've done some of the work. You've you've written things about it. Uh, so, so, you know, you, you can't totally rule yourself out, but yeah. I remember somebody being like like when I when I uh wrote about Bob Kane, somebody being like, "Hey man, you don't have to be that mean." Like you know, what if, you know, the, he's got grandkids or whatever. And I was like, fuck Bob Kane's grandkids. You know who didn't have to be that mean? Bob Kane. Yeah. Uh, and they were like, well, what if that was your grandfather? I was like, my grandfather sucked ass. <laughs> yeah. If, if it was my grandfather, I would want to know that he didn't give any of his collaborators credit. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
Stop stop defending dead charlatan Bob Kane. Yeah. That's my advice for people. Bob Kane got plenty of praise he didn't deserve. So yes. cool it. Hey, thanks, right. thanks for bringing back Cool It. You and AC have both said Cool It recently. <laughs> After I said we should bring back Cool It. And I know I said that to you, which means she did not hear me say it. So I think it's just in the zeitgeist now. It's it's in the air. Yeah. 2024, the year of the return of Cool It. 2024, tell them to cool it. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's rank this. That's well, first good. of all. Does this qualify? Is, is this a, st- a comic story? I mean, yeah. This, it, it, is a, it is a depiction of a sequence of events. But we disqualified strips, is what I'm saying. This is a page. Okay. okay. And it's about Batman, technically. <laughs> fair. Fair. <laughs> All right. Um, it's pretty good. I mean, like, it's not the most clever comedy it's it's a pretty straightforward like hey the joke is bob kane didn't come up with anything about batman uh bill finger did here's what i'll say i think the most direct comparison to this that we can make is to hark a vagrant sure and i think it's not as good as the lowest ranked hark a vagrant that we have which is the Velocipedestrian at one nineteen uh, at uh, eleven nineteen? Okay. okay, I think it's also. I would be able to recommend it to someone before I would be able to recommend Night Business. Okay, so you're saying this is the new new eleven twenty? I think so. I would have to know someone for a number of years before I would recommend Night Business to them. I don't know if I would be comfortable recommending Night Business to you, and I know you've read it. The the thing is, of all like there have been Mara comics that are way more. I don't know if I could recommend them. <laughs> I don't know, man. Not. Night business is I would I recommend would the easiest one to recommend is Omwat. I think it's the hardest one to recommend. I think you need to go back and reread Night Business. Omwat <laughs> <laughs> is does count as a as a recommendation. Omwat is a is hard to recommend. There's full stop. I was looking at Omwat the other day, and I yeah. forgot about that panel where Omwat is having sex with a lady, and she says in dialogue, "I am immediately having an orgasm." <laughs> I mean, it's and funny. I was like, we need to bump that up about a hundred spots on the list. <laughs> it's it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. <laughs> uh okay. Uh next on Jolene's list is another fan comic. Okay. Um it's Zatanna in She's My Cherry Pie. The fan comic about Zatanna and the fruit pie, the magician. Okay. I don't know that I've ever read this. I don't. I I cannot recall it. If I've 
seen it, I don't know, and Googling Zatanna, she's my cherry pie, just... <laughs> I wouldn't. Just uh, delivers Warren's song Cherry Pie and, like, actual cherry pie recipes. Did you find it? Uh, no, I just... Uh, um. Oh, I see. That's a panel for Mom. <laughs> uh, it's. I mean, it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. It's Tr- trying to explain a Ben Mara comic to somebody is like it's satire, <laughs> kind of. Of a sort, yes. Everything's I, intentional, I think. Um, so here's something that sucks. Google doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. True. I can't even find this comic. Well, Julie, I, I, you're going to have to send us a link. <laughs> gotta send a link. If, you, if, if it's fan comics, you gotta send a link. Yeah, uh, I, I, I sincerely cannot find it. Uh, so it sucks that search engines, quite simply, do not work anymore. Uh, Jeeves is out here like, and you'll you'll beg me to save you. That's right, and I'll and I'll say I no. Say no. And I'll say, no, sir. Okay. Uh, yeah, Jolene, send us a link because I, I I'm usually pretty good at googling, and I'm getting nothing here. So uh, send that to us. Um, the last story on Jolene's list is The Secret of the Universe from Shadow of the Bat number 43, Catwoman number 26, and Shadow of the Bat number 44. You know we haven't read those Jim Bell and Catwomans. <laughs> Jolene's you know gonna we haven't. Trying. Jolene's going to keep trying. Jolene, I admire you for trying. But you know we haven't. I haven't read those Shadow of the Bad issues either. Well, nor have I, because they tie into those uh, those Catwoman issues. Yeah. It's a rat catcher story? Yeah, it is. By Alan Grant and Barry Kitson. This Barry Kitson art is wild, duh. Man. Uh... But yeah, we haven't read it. Uh, sorry, Jolene. Uh, and then Jolene's backup is Wayne Family Adventures, which we've already said we haven't read. Sorry, Jolene. Uh, people say you sh- you would like Wayne Family Adventures, though, Chris. I, I'm sure I would. Yeah. All right. We've got about 20 minutes left, give or take. So we'll start this list from Nathaniel Winkleman and see how far we get. Okay. Okay. I'll try not to find any more good panels from Amwat. <laughs> <laughs> One man war on terror. 
I mean, it's it's kind of the whole book. It's kind of the whole book. Do you remember how Amwat, the woman War on Terror, has a tattoo on his chest? Yes, I do. Yeah. It's and it's, I believe it's the same tattoo that Grunge from Gen 13 has. I believe you're right. All right, first on Nathaniel's list is Advanced Dungeons and Dragons number one, numbers one through four, the first story arc by Michael Fleischer and uh, Jan Dersema. Okay, here's the thing. I almost certainly read those, and I do have them. And I know I have them because I, they, I got them in, I think I've gotten them in two different Humble Bundles. Right. But I do not remember what happens. I think there might be a centaur in it, or maybe that's the Forgotten Realms comic. This was the DC book, right? Yeah, this was this was a, a Detective Comics comic. DC in partnership with TSR. Uh, I have never read these, so are we? Are we going to catch up on Advanced Dungeons and Dragons? I mean, shit, I'll read them. You know I love that shit. All right. Possibility. Possibility. All right. Next on Nathaniel's list is Queen of Plagues. Red Sonia, Volume 2, Numbers 1 through 6 by Gail Simone and Walter Giovoni. That also sounds like a potential comics catch-up. Yeah, let's see. Red Sonia, Volume 2. Is that the dynamite Red Sonia? Yes. It's gotta be. Yeah. If that's the Gail Simone issues, yeah. So that's actually Red Sonia volume four. It seems. No? That's Amy Chu. I don't even know. <laughs> I'm gonna have to like go through many volumes of Red Sonia to find uh, that Gail Simone run. Are, are is this more Amwat panels? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're just gonna have to uh, gonna have to check it out. It it definitely is. <laughs> uh, yep. Th- those are panels from Amwat. So, are we saying we haven't read these Gail Simone? Uh, uh, yes. Not. Red Sony 2013. Yeah, Red Sony 2013 is that series. Um, Okay, yeah, listeners, tell us if we should catch up on Advanced Dungeons and Dragons or issues from the Gail Simone run on Red Sonia. Because maybe we'll do one of those as a catch up. Uh, finally, on Nathaniel's list is uh, Hand of Vaprak from Forgotten Realms numbers one through four by Jeff Grubb and Rags Morales. Finally, Rags Morales has a chance at at, at redemption, getting yeah. higher on the list. Yeah, have you read these Forgotten Realms comics? I th- I think those are the ones with the centaur in them. Okay. I think the the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons comics have a paladin with really small hands. Okay. Oh wow, these are like this was like Radic Morales back in the day. Yeah, man, it's like it's like the late eighties. Yeah. 
Huh. When he was R.A. Morales. All right, Chris, do you feel comfortable ranking these Forgotten Realms? Absolutely not. (laughs) All right. Something from this list we will catch up on. We'll read a fantasy comic as a catch-up. But y'all got to let us know if it's Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, Red Sonja, or Forgotten Realms. Matt, I was right. I'm going to send you something, and it's not from Amwad. Okay. Okay. It kind of looks like it could be from Amwad, though, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, yeah. The guy with tiny hands. Saying, my my hands! Oh, wait, there is a centaur in this. In Dungeons & Dragons. In Dungeons & Dragons. It's got the paladin with tiny hands and a centaur. Okay, so nothing you remembered is in Forgotten Realms. I guess not. But again... I'm a notorious The Forgotten Realms hater. Mm. Well, I don't know how much Ragged Morales is going to redeem himself then, if if we catch up on that. Well, we can we can find out. We can. We can. Let us know, listeners, which one we should catch up on. Um, have you read the Pathfinder series by Jim Zub and Armando Huerta? Uh, I believe so, but I would need to be refreshed on it. Okay, one of Nathaniel's alternates is Dark Waters Rising in Pathfinder 1 through 6. These are more <laughs> these are more panels from Amwad. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, what about Abraxas Rin of Eberron? The, I I'm almost certain I have read those because I am uh, uh, a noted Eberron liker, mm-hmm. but I don't. That's the one that Keith Baker wrote, I think. This is by Paul Crilly, Paco Diaz, and Atio Rojo. It's okay, the 2012 annual. I I almost certainly read that, but I would have read it 12 years ago. Okay. Is it going to be Sword and Sorcery Summer for you boys? Could be. It could be. It might be. We, we might make a whole summer out of catching up on fantasy comic stories. So, listeners, get at us about what to catch up on from this list specifically, but perhaps from other fantasy comics as well. So the, the options are... I don't are, want to read these comics about this paladin with tiny hands. Advanced Dungeons & Dragons numbers 1 through 4. Red Sonja volume 2 numbers 1 through 6. I, which I don't think is actually volume 2. I think it's a much later volume. It's Red Sonja 2013 by Gail Simone. Forgotten Realms 1 through 4. Pathfinder 1 through 6. Or Abraxas Ren of Eberron 2012 annual. All right? All right. We're going to start this list from Patrick O'Duffy, but we're probably not going to finish it. From whom? The boss dog, Patrick O'Duffy. Thank you. These are Tom and Mary Beerbaum Legion of Superheroes stories. Mm, we're talking about some, some five years later. Correct. 
First is Legion of Superheroes, Volume 4, Numbers 1 through 12, Five Years Later, art by Keith Giffen and Al Gordon, in which the Legion reunites after the Magic Wars. See, that's what we could have read. That's what we could have read, and that would have been like Keith Giffen, the shit. Wow, that's but great. You know, that's good stuff. But you know these. I do know these. That's not the idea of ketchup. <laughs> I know it's not the idea. Man. I know. But yeah, man. This this comic. Whew. They put they put this thing on Baxter paper, baby. Hmm. Mm. Actually, no, no. The Baxter paper series was the previous series to this. That was the Levitz and Giffen series that starts off with the story where um, a Karate Kid gets killed. Ah, so the, okay. This is this is a different uh, Legion of Superheroes series. Uh, it might have still been on Baxter paper, but I think it was past the Baxter era. Remember Post-back. when people used to care about what, what paper stock they use? Vaguely. Vaguely. They, they, they stopped... They stopped doing that. Uh, yeah. They sure did. <laughs> Matt, Matt they, they stopped doing it. They stopped caring about about the Baxter paper. <laughs> <laughs> Alas. No, this is, this is uh, five years later. Uh, five years later is good. And it is the, it is, it's not the only jump to the future and everything's bad now story that is good. But it is, like, one of a very small number. Like, it did set a dangerous precedent. (laughs) Because this is, like, I mean, it's all, all the Legion... Uh, there's a five-year time jump, as the the story title implies. Uh-huh. Uh, after this was the this was 1989. Yeah, this is the 89 run. Yeah, uh, which has really really good, like Keith Giffen art and and plotting, uh, and Tom and Mary Beerbaum, who also like super underrated. Like they were on Legion for a long time, and I think they. They did a really good job. They did a bunch of stuff with uh, uh, Tom Pyre too. Um, so it's it, it picks up five years later. The Legionnaires are all old now, and by old I mean they're in like their late twenties. Um, and just it sucks everywhere. Like the comic is good, but like the world just sucks. <laughs> it's like. It's like a real trash universe now. Uh, very like you know, kind of gritty sci-fi. Lots of uh, lots of of you know planets with uh, decaying, brutalist buildings and such. I, I've I've not. I haven't closely read this run on Legion. I, I'm notoriously like I just can't really get into legion it's it's i'm too late to really 
start now. Um, but I've looked through these issues. I remember seeing these issues. And what I remember them being is heavily Watchmen influenced. Oh, yeah. Do you like the nine panel grid? Yeah. <laughs> I think every page of these first of this first arc, at least, is a nine-panel grid, which is something that Giffen did in a lot of places, but, like, particularly post-Watchmen with the kind of grown-up dystopian everything-sucks-now-legion-of-superheroes in 1989, it is impossible to not see this as a post-Watchmen comic. It's also got, like, the text pieces yeah. in it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good. Like, that's the thing, Matt. It's it's also good. <laughs> it it took some of the right lessons from Watchmen. Yeah. Yes. Uh, there's like re- like it really is like a jump to some slightly more sophisticated stuff. Like some uh, there's a lot of like a lot of really good like if this then this like logical progression of stories. Um, and like the previous run of Legion, the the eighty four run of Legion. Um, had also been, like, pretty dark. Like, Legion had been dark for a while. Uh, but this just, like, really ramps it up. And it's good. Like, you, like if you haven't read this, you would not believe how good it is to see Matter Eater Lad as a hard-boiled detective. Bud? Sure. <laughs> and that sounds, uh, appealing. Tinsel Kim as a gritty, uh, gritty noir investigator. That's good stuff. Uh, Mark Wade was the editor on this. It is a, it is a, a hell of a good, a hell of a good team. Um, the thing is, I don't know how it would read to someone who hadn't read at least the previous ten years of Legion. Mm. Like, if you, like, if you hadn't. Like maybe start with the Great Darkness saga. Like if you if you hadn't read all the Levitts and Given stuff, I don't know how this hits you. But it is good comics. And it's like really, like really good Giffen. Alright, let's let's then rank the first twelve issues of that run. I thought we were just doing the first five. This this is according to Patrick, it's Legion of Superheroes Volume Four, numbers one through twelve, five years later. Oh yeah, okay, that makes sense, actually. Because yeah. then like then it gets into like weird things about how the Legion shouldn't exist anymore. <laughs> and that like after like shortly after this run is when things start to go bad for the Legion. Uh and, and I say that as someone who, like, like continuity-wise, things go bad. Like, there's a lot of, like, Reboot Legion stuff that I actually really, really like. Like, that's kind of my favorite version of the Legion, especially aesthetically. Like, I love those costumes, the sandwich costumes. But, like, they start as clones. It's weird. Right. It's weird. Yeah. Well, let's rank this, and then we've got two more on Patrick's list to get to next time. I mean, I would like, I'm scrolling up from where we yeah. were. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could imagine. 
Because, like, it's good comics. Uh, at 700, we have Daredevil Love and War. It's that good. Okay. It's better than that Punisher Acts of Vengeance issue that we have at 698, although that is a fun issue. I don't... Weirdly very comparable to, and maybe not... Well, maybe a little bit better than Squadron Supreme Death of a Universe. Okay. Yeah, I would say... I I, I want to put it... Hmm... Dirty Cops, another comic I cannot recommend. <laughs> That's at 682. It's definitely not as good as Crawling from the Wreckage. Doom Patrol. Okay. Okay. Another, like, D- new take on a DC team from around that time. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's probably right under that, honestly. Okay, it's so good. the new number. 678? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Like, five years later, Legion is good as hell. So, Legion of Superheroes. This is volume four. Numbers one through 12. Five years later. I cannot imagine reading it not already knowing those characters, but yeah, it's good. But I mean, that's kind of, I mean, it's not kind of like Watchmen, but it's like, Watchmen is a comic that is for people who know superhero tropes and understand how they could be upended and probably shouldn't be anybody's first superhero comic, even though it is. Well, it's it's weird to think about now, like our generation of comics readers, because right. you know this would have been just kind of when you and I were coming online with comics. You know, like uh, we would have just been getting started around this time. But like the Legion was a cornerstone DC franchise. Like if you look at the Baxter Paper books from the from the early eighties, it's New Teen Titans and Legion. Right. And I think Batman and the Outsiders was one. Uh, or just the Outsiders. So, like, it's... Th- there was a time when the Legion was a big deal. But that yeah. time did not coexist with Wizard Magazine. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. We've got two more submissions from Patrick, but they will have to wait until next time. Uh, if you would like to submit an Every Story Ever list, uh, and you're a line stepper, because pretty much we've only done line stepper lists for quite a long time now, uh, email us an Every Story Ever list at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. That's our email address, where you can also get in touch with us if you want to sponsor the show or about any other topic that you want to email us about uh speaking of line steppers you can do that on our patreon you can become a line stepper on our patreon which is patreon.com slash ajax go there to support these monthly every story ever specials as well as the weekly war rocket ajax show comics catch up where we rank things catch up on reading things and rank them on the list 
uh, movie fighters and snack situation. All of that stuff is made possible via your support on Patreon. Uh, so if you can help us out there, please go do that. Um, you can also leave us reviews on the podcasting app that you use. A five-star review would be a big help for us. WarRocketAjax.com is our website. It has every episode of the show we've ever done. WarRocketWiki.com is the fan repository of all the information you could need about WarRocketAjax. If you want to find... Oh, we're on Blue Sky at WarRocketAjax.bsky.social. We're on Tumblr at WarRocketPodcast.tumblr.com. Uh, if you want to find me and my stuff, please go to MattDWilson.net to find links to my comics, my books, my other podcasts, and my social medias. Chris, where can people find you? Hey, everybody can find me by going to the-isb.com. That is my website. It has links to where you can find me online. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back in February with more rankings. Until then. Bye, everybody. We love you. We love you. Forever, 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 ever, forever, ever. Yes! From this day on, as every breed of mongrel lived together.